Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. On this episode, you are going to get to hear a lovely chat between myself and my dear friend Olivia, who you might recognize her voice if you are also a listener of the Be Well Cartel. And this is the second time I've recorded this intro because I recorded this amazing, well, I I think it's amazing. I recorded this lovely intro, gave you a little bit of insight into what's going on with my life, and then for some reason, QuickTime, which I'm recording on, decided that they wanted to delete it and just have it be static. So here's round two. So Olivia and I, on this episode, talk a little bit about navigating life changes and what that means for your identity, so who you believe you are, what that means for your habits, and how to create cognitive flexibility, which is essentially a flexible mindset around life changes. So we talk about things like how to manage that voice in your head that is telling you you should be able to do something, even though you are not currently doing that thing. We dig into the three elements of self-compassion, which if you are an all-or-nothing person or a perfectionist, this is going to be so helpful for you to kind of dig into what self-compassion really is rather than some of the misconceptions about, well, self-compassion is just going easy on yourself, which is not necessarily the case. So I think you're going to really enjoy hearing Olivia and I talk about the the topics in this podcast it's a flowing conversation and just to give you a little bit of of context for why we chose this so both of us are navigating life changes right now I am I've been traveling or moving around quite a lot in the last three months from Barcelona to Vienna and now I'm in the United States and Olivia six months ago became a mother for the first time so definitely some new phases in our lives that we are navigating and so we talk a little bit about our personal experience and also give you some actionable tips to manage changes in your own life. And with that, I wanted to give you a little bit of a life update. So I am in Los Angeles um, doing a little bit of like family admin tasks. I don't know how much I've shared here but that's that's all I'm going to share for now. And this is the longest I have been in the United States since I left in 2014 and so it's given me a chance to sort of settle into what it's like to live here again and there are so many cultural differences but one of the things and I think this is this definitely depends on where you live in the United States and also where you live in Los Angeles but in LA it is not common for people to walk places and so for me I'm very used to living in a place where walking is just a natural thing that I do, I would say that if I did not have my dog here with me, I would be getting like 2,000 steps a day. I would be very, very sedentary. And so it's taking a lot of conscious effort to be more active throughout the day, like move around more, walk, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's interesting because it's never, it, not never, but it hasn't been a challenge for me for a very long time just because the places that I've lived normally facilitate a lot of walking, we use a lot of public transportation, that kind of thing. On the nutrition side, I have been incredibly lazy. On one side, I'm loving trying all of the fun snacks that the United States has. And on the other side, I just don't have the mental capacity to cook. So my meals have been essentially whatever I can buy like pre-made and just assemble it and that is good to go and then random snacks and things like that uh which you know when I was really deep in like controlling my food and controlling my body it would have made me feel really anxious because I would have been sitting here recording this podcast and thinking about the cereal that I have in the cupboard or the granola butter or the peanut butter cups and the thing that's allowed me to really be able to 
have whatever I want in the house and not feel like it's calling to me from the cupboard is the fact that I practice unconditional permission to eat and is the fact that I do eat regular balanced meals and I feel satisfied with my meals I enjoy them and then I make intentional choices about what I choose to eat and I can choose to eat whatever I want whenever I want but I also know how that aligns with my goals and values and this is something this is a big part of the work that I do with clients and I'm actually going to be setting up a a little podcast series so the next podcast that you listen to first of all if you are not subscribed please subscribe and then the next set of podcasts you're going to listen to I'm not sure if it's going to be three podcasts or five podcasts maybe four who knows Uh, hopefully shorter ones and they're going to walk you through what it looks like to practice unconditional permission to eat why we struggle to do that and hopefully be really actionable for you and also give you some insight into what it could look like through a coaching process so if at any point you want to explore what coaching could look like whether on a one-on-one basis or in a group coaching program please go ahead and you can check out all the options I offer at bitesize.es. You can also shoot me a message on Instagram. And I'm going to tell you just (laughs) – well, so I've never lived in – this is just a quick story before we hop into the episode. I have never lived in a house with a house alarm before. It's not something I've ever done. When I lived in in my dad's house, we lived in like a tiny town. We didn't even lock our doors. I don't even know if we had house keys to be honest. And here in LA, there's a house alarm. And it went off the other night at 3 o'clock in the morning, which I was terrified. I like genuinely thought someone was going to come murder me. And my dog, who could be an amazing alarm, was just asleep because no one was breaking in. It was an alarm malfunction. Anyways, a fun fact. I'm very lucky that I have my dog here with me. And I've noticed – so in Barcelona – I, people are very like they let their dogs say hi to each other. The dogs generally are fairly socialized. And here in LA, in the neighborhood that I'm in, it seems like people don't like their dogs to say hi to other dogs for a lot uh, for the most part. And so I've been walking through this neighborhood that my grandmother's house is in and everybody keeps crossing the street when they see my dog coming and I'll often say, oh, you know, she's friendly. And I have gotten so many times people are like, oh, well, my dog's not. And it's like, dude, why is your dog not friendly? Why have you not socialized your dog? So I apologize if you are someone that does have a a less friendly dog and it's not your fault, which is very much a possibility. I understand that that is really challenging. But it seems strange that here there are so many dogs that don't like other dogs. I don't get it. Anyways, that is enough about dogs. So with that, thank you so much for being here and let's listen to the episode that I recorded with my friend Olivia Park. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I feel so very lucky because I get to chat with one of my favorite humans that I have never actually physically met in person, Olivia Park, the one, the only Olivia Park, all the way in South Korea. I am now in Los Angeles, Olivia's in South Korea. When you hear Olivia speak, her voice may sound familiar because she's on the Be Well Cartel with me. If you've ever listened to that um, to that podcast, Olivia, Holly, and I, Holly, who was also on the bite, the Be well, or the Bite Size Nutrition podcast a while back, and Olivia is a fitness. I'm going to say fitness guru, but that does not really explain who you are. But Olivia, I'm going to shut up. You tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we're going to talk, and then I'll tell you about what we're going to talk about, people. It was so funny when you said 
Welcome to the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I was really confused for a split second because usually you're saying, welcome to the Be Well Cartel Podcast. And I was like, wait, where am I? <laughs> where am I? <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Um, yes, it is so cool to be here. And when we finally do meet in person, which we are, I'm just going to keep rooting for Bali. Bali 2023. Yep. Um, it's going to be the biggest hug in the whole world. And oh I'm not sure that I'll actually let you go. So get ready. Um, but I am a female health and performance coach. And I, uh, like Jillian said, I live in South Korea and I work with women online. Um, after many years of being an in-person personal trainer, really involved in CrossFit. Um, and now I have uh, one-on-one clients and also a group strength conditioning program. Um, and I also am part of a, a female um, health and program design mentorship that I teach with my good friend, Nadia. So lots of bits and pieces to do with um, women's fitness, health, nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love about talking to you and Holly on the VWL cartel is that while we all sort of do, we have our own little corners of the internet that we, that we work in and, and different individuals that we work with, but where we all converge is like in the importance of generating a feeling of choice and autonomy mm -hmm. in the way that we approach our health, our nutrition, our fitness. And one of the things that you and I were talking about when we were sort of discussing like, well, what do we want to talk about on this podcast is a little bit about navigating life changes. And so you've recently had a really big life change. You recently had a son who is just the most adorable thing in the entire world. And, uh, and I'm also navigating a, a life change where I haven't been home in Barcelona now for almost two months. And so I thought it could be really cool to talk about, well, how do we how do we manage our minds? How do we manage our nutrition? How do we manage our training and our, our expectations of ourselves when we do have to navigate life changes? Because this happens, like this is inevitable that we're going to have to manage some life change at some point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is something that we talk about all the time in the Be Well Cartel, as well as cognitive flexibility and being yeah. able to be flexible in the way that we think about all of these things, which is so kind of counter to what we're told that if we are more, if we, if we work harder, if we're harder on ourselves, if we um, tighten the reins more, then we are going to have more control over these things, especially when things feel like they are a little bit um, chaotic around us. But the more flexible that we can be with nutrition, exercise, the way that we're thinking about ourselves within this stuff, the more success we're going to have with them. Well, and one thing that I think is, is you said something once kind of after, after you gave birth to Alfie, it was sort of like all of the stuff that they tell you about like giving birth and having a baby is like, there's so much that they don't tell you. And so I think that sometimes we believe that, okay, I know that this life change is going to happen. Like I'm going to move or I'm going to change jobs or I'm going to, you know, like I knew that I was going to go from Barcelona to a month in Vienna and then have to come to the United States, but there's still so many unknowns and things that we can't predict. And so it's like for you, for example, navigating this transition from being, you know, 
Olivia to being Olivia, who is also a mother. Like, how did you, like, how did you bring on, like give, give yourself or practice cognitive flexibility in a position in which you were like, I did all the legwork I could and I still had no idea what the fuck was happening. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly say, I was sort of reflecting on this this week, like we were just talking about this um, before we started recording, is that I feel like I'm at this, I feel like I'm a very, very different person than I was a few years ago, obviously. But I also feel like I've gotten to this place where I've kind of done this full circle because becoming a mother was, it was a byproduct of everything that happened before that. And so everything that happened before that was developing that cognitive flexibility because I had hypothalamic amenorrhea for so many years. I had to get my health back. So in order to do that, I had to intentionally gain a significant amount of weight that was relative for me. I had to eat food that I was terrified of. I had to pull back on exercise and training, which was like, not just my passion, but also my livelihood. And so identity and everything that, that was wrapped up in that. And so I feel like that whole process of me actually getting my health back, um, that was the thing that, you know, gave me my fertility. And so I was able to have a child, um, but also gave me a more flexible mindset to be able to go into pregnancy with and then postpartum. So even though it's been an absolute shit show and right now, um, it's, it is, uh, it is really, really hard. I mean, I think that there's so much emphasis on pregnancy and kind of managing that, but postpartum is really the real deal. Um, but in those first kind of like six weeks or whatever, I kind of got by because it was just survival. But now that I'm six months in, there's kind of like this idea that you should have it all together, you know, like, you've been a mother for this long, you're working, like you kind of just figured it out and you should have it all together. And it is not the case at all. I feel more sort of um, like all over the show than I did when Alfie was a newborn. And so it's actually now that I'm thinking more about my nutrition and stuff because that is the stuff that is supporting everything feeling really hard and really messy now because I don't feel altogether <laughs> like society tells us that we should be. Yeah. I think that this happens with, you know, if we look at different life transitions, like I can, I can't relate to having a child, but I can, I, I feel like empathize. I don't know if it's the right word, but like I can try to be there for my friends and, and family members and clients that have, that have gone through that transition even though I haven't gone through it myself and kind of see that there is, there's so many puzzle pieces that you're trying to like kind of hold together to like create this puzzle. But then you have this, like this tiny unpredictable human that throws things off. But I think that something that happens when we go through any type of big life change is like two things is one, there's a big identity challenge of like, this is who I was, but that's not who I am now. And so the things that I used to do with this person that I was need to shift into this person that I am now. And there's often a lot of resistance with that because it's kind of like, you feel like you lose the person that you were. And then I think also there's a lot of 
pretty negative self-talk when we're not cognitively flexible in like, I should be able to, to have this under control by now. And so I'm thinking like in particular, you know, to someone that let's say you, you change jobs and you have a completely different schedule and you had this routine that worked really well for you when you had one schedule and you sort of knew, you know, when you're going to go to the grocery store and when worked for you to go to the gym and et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden you have this big change to your schedule and the things that are required of you. And, you know, a few months in, you're like, I wish that I could just get back to this old schedule that works so well for me. I should know how to do this by now. And I feel like that narrative of like, I should know how to do this by now is what really holds us back from being able to like flexibly navigate these life changes. Yeah, totally. Or it's like, if you kind of someone who's sort of self-aware and you, you understand that being kind to yourself and having compassion for yourself is actually a really helpful things in times like that. But that same thing of like, I should be able to be kinder to myself kind of goes yeah. along with that as well. Right. And it's a really, it's a really, it's tricky, like double guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awful. Um, so I think that, so first of all, with that first layer of what you're talking about of, I should I should know how to do this or I should be able to figure this out is that um I mean should you <laughs> like yeah. if you if you're in a new you know you've gone through a new transition in life you're doing something new I mean should you actually know how to figure it out I mean sure there's evidence from your past of, probably of like similar circumstances and stuff like this but this is something new and so that's where the self-compassion does come in. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm human and I do go through transitions and it's going to feel like this. And I can feel these emotions that come with this. Um, but also I can also ask for help. Like for me, I hired a nutrition coach a couple of months ago. I'm a nutrition coach. Like I've been doing this stuff for so many years. Um, and a lot of people I think who are coaches they had that thought of like, well, I, sh I should know what to do because this is what I teach people. So I shouldn't ask for help because that's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you, but we need, we all need support and things are different. Like, and for me right now, like, I think I told you that one of the biggest things that I focus on with my nutrition right now, even though I have many years done macros and blah, 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 like all the things. Right now, it's like, can I eat three meals a day? Like the most basic fundamental things with nutrition. Um, and even that feels hard. And I've definitely had those thoughts of like, why is this so hard for me? But it's also, that's where that compassion has to come in. It's like, yeah, it is hard. But it, I also know that I can work through this because I have evidence from my past. I can do hard things. Um, and this is just something new for me. It's like a, it's like something that, you know, in a different context is going to be yeah. hard. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I, so there's an analogy that I use sometimes with my clients and I feel like I still, you know, I love my analogies and this one, I feel like is an analogy that I still need to flesh out a little bit more, but I remember <laughs> asking a client. Once, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was talking to a client who she had worked with, um, a therapist specifically, focused on binge eating. So she had worked with this binge eating therapist and she was like, you know what? I feel like I need help like getting a little bit more structure around my meals. And we actually ended up touching on some of the like not like not eating disorder, but disordered eating patterns that we're still 
she still had some of those like traces of those patterns. And we started talking about emotional regulation. And we started talking about identifying emotions, being aware of it. And like, she was like, I never talked about this stuff with my therapist. Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like I should know how to do this stuff already. When we talked about like, actually, hey, like sit down and use the emotions wheel to identify like, what are the emotions that you think you're feeling right now or that you think you felt throughout the day? And she was beating herself up so hard. She was like, I should know how to do this. I've done this therapy with this therapist. Like I've done X, Y, Z. Like I should know how to do this. And I was like, look, if I asked you to build me a table, could you build me a table? She was like, no, of course not. And I was like, why? Like, why can't you build me a table? She was like, because I don't know. Like, I don't know carpentry. Like, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, right, because you've never learned it. And so when we beat ourselves up for not being able to do something that we've never actually learned how to do, like that in itself, it just like, when we look at it that way, it genuinely doesn't make sense, but we do it all the time. And we, I think we think as adults, like, especially, you know, for you, it's like, okay, well, I know all of this stuff about nutrition. Yeah. But you never actually learned how to navigate feeding yourself when you have a child. Right. So it's like, how on earth are you supposed to do that? Like, this is an experience you've never been in. Why should you know how to do that? Yeah, totally. Like the same things show up for us all the time and everything and the same kind of like actions, but the context matters. Yeah. The context matters and that can change everything, right? Like, yeah. And I think um, like something that I, I find really helpful, and this is something that I always remind my clients of, and it's so kind of, I feel like a little bit of a broken record saying it sometimes, but you know, one of the pillars of self-compassion is like remembering that you're a human, (laughs) like you're a human who has emotions, who feels things and things are hard. And um, part of the experience of being a human is having emotions and going through challenging things and figuring things out. So um, I think that that is something really important to just continue to come back to. And it kind of gives you relief as well. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine. but that context thing of, I should know how to do this. We can keep going round and round and round in circles, telling ourselves that we should know how to do something or we can ask for help and probably yeah. cut the time and half of us trying to figure it out. Like by just asking for help. But there's so much shame. Like we carry so much shame in asking for help. And I feel like you know, you probably see this when women come to you for help with their performance. And I see this all the time when, when women come to me with help with their eating habits is like, there's so much shame behind like, and it comes from that should of like, I should know how to do this by now. Like mm-hmm. I should be able to manage this. Like I should be able to control my eating or I should be able to meal prep or I should, you know, in your case, like I should be able to get myself to take rest days or something like that. And, it, and, and this is where I think that the self-compassion piece in navigating a big life change is so important. And I think that it can be helpful for us to, so I pulled up here, the three elements of self-compassion, which, so surprisingly enough, I've never actually done a deep dive on self-compassion in, on my podcast. Cause I know we did it on the Be Well Cartel. So mm. I can link that episode in the show notes, but just to reiterate, like, I think the misconceptions that we have about self-compassion, especially as like driven, ambitious, independent individuals is we think that self-compassion is just like going easy on yourself. Mm. Like we think that self-compassion, like in the face of a big life change, just being like, no worries. You don't have to go to the gym, just order, take out, whatever, be nice to yourself. And like, that is not necessarily self-compassion. And so I wanted to just talk about the three elements 
And then I think we can talk a little bit about like what self-compassion looks like in the context of navigating something that is really difficult. Cause you were talking before we started recording about how for you going to the gym five times a week is a lifesaver. And like context is so important there, but I'm going to stop myself, talk about the three elements and then we'll get back to that. So the three elements of self-compassion are self-kindness versus self-judgment, common humanity versus isolation and mindfulness versus over-identification. And so when we talk about self-judgment, that is this, I should be able to do this right now. I am bad because I'm not able to do this. It's, and we do, we, we have these judgments all the time. And like, I think you mentioned a couple, I think you mentioned a couple before we started talking where it's like, we, we carry so much shame about not being able to do things. Yeah. And it, what if it was like, why can't I do this? Yeah. You know, like, like, well, I mean, that could be like, why not me? Like, why can't I do this? You know, instead of like, oh, why can't I do this? Um, but also just like curiosity, looking at that, like, and that's the thing that is missing so often when we do have change and we are wondering why our routine that we were doing before doesn't work in this context is that we are actually not looking at the truth. Yeah. <laughs> like, looking at the environment changes, like looking at the schedule changes, looking at the time changes. It's like everything has a good reason and everything makes sense. And even if there isn't something tangible, it's like desires can change, motivations can change with um, life changes, you know? Um, like for me with having, uh, you know, before I had Alfie, I was like, no, baby's going to get in the way of my business, which is my baby, you know, like I'm going to yeah. continue to work as hard as I did and blah, blah, blah. My desires have changed. I want to spend more time with my son, you know? And so now I'm having to understand all of that in that different context. And, but I can see that, like, I can see that what I want has actually changed. And often we're kind of like stuck in what we we're not allowing ourselves to evolve because we, we stay stuck in what has been. And so it's like, we have to kind of like stay here and try and make that fit in this new thing. When it's like, when we can just be curious instead of judgmental, which is something that, you know, both of us talk about all the time. Yeah. And I really feel like it's the answer to so much is just that word, curiosity. So I should be able to do this. Okay, but well, why am I actually not doing this? Why am I actually not able to eat vegetables right now? Like what is actually coming up for me? And there's usually very, very, very good reasons for why you're not. And it's looking at those and then tackling them one by one. And what is the lowest hanging fruit? So funny side note, on one of my dating profiles on Bumble, um, the, there's the question like, what is your favorite quality in a human? And I put curiosity and then like bonus points if you're a good hugger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and so I think like when we, when we look at the second element of self-compassion, so first is like self-kindness is not just letting yourself slide. Self-kindness is like, how do I get curious about what best supports me? Like, how do I actually be kind to myself? Not just like, not like kind and lenient are not the same thing. Yeah. And I think and we get to mistake that. Yeah. And that's where... Yeah, that gets really confusing for people because it's like, oh, so com compassion is just like doing nothing or just laying down and just like yeah. not going to the gym, but sitting on the couch. No, it's actually doing the kindest thing that is 
the kindest thing that you can do in that moment. And sometimes that is getting really, really gritty. It's pulling up your socks and doing the thing that you don't want to do. And sometimes it's having grace and it's being like, you know what? No, I'm going to let that slide because that is the kindest thing for me right now. And so your ability to actually have awareness around that and differentiate what you actually need in a moment. And that then comes back to that simple question of like, what do I need? What do I need? And that comes from like you were talking about with your client and her experience with therapy is identifying the emotion that you're actually feeling. Um, which is definitely a skill because it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but what does that actually mean? Or is there something, or I feel like I'm failing. Well, what is failure? Like, what does that actually mean? What do you actually need from that? So, um, yeah, but that can be a very, um, potent question that can lead to that, um, that can open up more curiosity. I think, what do I need right now? Yeah. And so the second element of self-compassion, the common humanity versus isolation, I think is are such an important one, especially in the context of like fitness, nutrition, like managing your mind. Cause I think that we often have this feeling of like, I am the only person that this is happening to. Like I am the only person in this world of like 8 billion people that, that this is happening to. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've like gotten a DM from someone where like I've posted something about like a struggle that I used to have with food. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, I do that too, or I did that. Like, I didn't realize that other people thought that way. I think that's like the beauty of, of social media sometimes is that like you get access to people that share things that you might not necessarily hear. And it feels so good when you start practicing self-compassion in a way where you actually let yourself know, like, this is part of being human. Like, Mm -hmm. I am not the only person that's struggling with this because when you are on an island and you're like, I'm the only person that is not able to like get my shit together when they're displaced. Like, I don't know if I was, if I was sitting here, you know, in LA dealing with all the family stuff that I'm dealing with right now. And I was like, I'm the only person that's ever struggled with this. I would feel like I was choking. Mm. It doesn't. I think that the important thing with this though, is that it doesn't, I think that let me Reset. I think that what can happen with this part of self-compassion <clears throat> is that it can often get confused with comparative like suffering. Yes. Right? So yeah. I That's a really good point. I'm not the only one that is dealing with this. So I shouldn't feel like this. Like I shouldn't feel bad. I shouldn't feel like I'm struggling. I shouldn't feel like this is hard. I should be grateful. When it's like, no, you're not the only one. You're right. But how you feel is so important and so valid. And that's actually your superpower in all of this is feeling what you're feeling, understanding what you're feeling, but knowing that you're not alone in that. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is also why we need to start placing more importance on group coaching, because I think that it is so powerful to be able to get coached on your own shit but also be able to connect with other people that are going through similar processes. And so I recently opened up an accountability group for all of my one-on-one clients. And then I've also opened it up um, for anyone else. that's like, maybe they don't want to fully commit to one-on-one coaching yet. And I've opened that up and we have a group and then we have a bi-weekly call. And it's so cool to see the people on the call and in the group 
connecting with one another and be like, oh, I struggle with that too. This is what's worked for me. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think that we, that we devalue group stuff, especially like in our field, but there's so much value that we can get out of it. And I think a lot of it is that common humanity like aspect of it, where it's like, we can identify with others and help support each other through it. And then the last, so, and then the last element of self-compassion, this mindfulness versus over-identification, I think is, is potentially the hardest one to, cause I think the other two are kind of like, okay, I get the concept. And this one is like, this is a daily continuous practice of noticing that like my thoughts are not directives. My thoughts are simply thoughts. And like being able to practice mindfulness of thought is like, I think one of the most valuable skills that I've learned in the last few years. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's, I remember so many times like saying like to my husband, like, but it's true because it feels like I'm thinking this thing. So it's true. Like actually saying those words, like, um, yeah. And uh, I think that one of the most powerful disruptors of that is simply just giving yourself that reframe of I'm having the thought that that is so it's so simple to just like create that little bit of detachment from that thought but I feel like it really can open up like an ocean you know like that that little um that little creek or that little crack can really open up um so much more to remove yourself from that thought and just kind of like see it for what it is and move on but it is really hard because your feelings, right? You have the thoughts and you have the feelings. And when you just feel so connected to it, um, it's hard to to move away from it. But that's the power of diffusion and practicing yeah. uh, having those tools. And I think one of the hardest parts too is that a lot of the time we feel very resistant to a practice of mindfulness because we think that it has to be meditation. We think that it has to be like going very slowly. And I, and especially with the women that we work with and who we are as humans ourselves, I know personally, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I don't meditate. Meditating at this point in my life makes me really, makes me feel really uncomfortable. No, that's not true. I recently learned. So I went on a couple dates with a therapist here in in LA, which was really illuminating. And he brought to my attention that saying something makes you feel is not helpful. And so now I'm trying to be very aware of using that terminology because he's completely right. Like meditation doesn't make me feel any way. And it, and this is actually part of that mindfulness, right? It's like nothing makes you feel a certain way, but I tend to have the reaction to telling myself to meditate. It, I, like the reaction that I tend to have is like an anxious one rather than a mindful one, which is what we're going for. And, and this is something that, you know, I think, where we get confused is that mindfulness can be practiced with everyday activities. Like you can be mindful of your thoughts simply by taking out a note on your phone and just writing down a few things that you think. There's uh, a mindfulness exercise that I think John Kabat-Zinn, who's like the quote unquote, I mean, you know who he is, but Mm. for all of you listening, he's like the quote unquote father of modern mindfulness. Um, and he talks a lot about an exercise where you're washing the dishes and you simply take time and well, no, I don't want to say take time. Cause you're actually not taking time out of washing the dishes, 
But while you're washing the dishes, you notice like the, the heat of the water and the feeling of the water and the sounds and the smells. And that in itself is mindfulness. And in practicing those moments, which really don't take any time out of your normal day, you will start to be more aware of the things that your mind is saying to you. And you can stop over-identifying with them as being the ultimate truth because you're going to be able to like be present in the moment of what is happening. I have no idea if what I, whatever I just said made sense. I feel like I just <laughs> yeah. went on, I like went down a river of thought there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, time has become a real privilege for me. And we were talking earlier about, um, you know, having compassion for somebody's circumstances, but not actually being able to understand it, um, mm. you know, to have like true empathy for it, right? Um, it has been a really interesting process for me, having worked with so many mothers for so many years, you know, most of my clients are a, a big, a handful of my clients are mothers. And I have always had compassion for them in terms of like time, things that they can do, um, certainly in terms of like, you know, things like this, which can help with stress and help with um, the things that they might be battling with, like body image, with food, with exercise and stuff like that. And now being in their shoes, where time, I understand what it means that time is a privilege. Like I used to meditate, like before Alfie, I loved it in the mornings. I only did 10 minutes, Sam Harris, um, uh, app I loved it and it was really grounding for me but when Alfie came I couldn't do that anymore and so like you said it's I've had to find different expressions of this to give me the same thing that sitting down and doing meditation does and that has become having my coffee in the morning without looking at my phone and that's it like that is the simplest, most like baseline thing that I can do in terms of like putting a nickel into my mindfulness kind of like bank of like, at least that's something that I'm giving myself like a little bit of space. And that doesn't help me like reflect on my thoughts or anything like that, but it's just a little something that I give back to myself that is like a tiny crack of space and the accumulation of that can be impactful. I completely agree with that. Completely, completely agree with that. And it's interesting because I was, I just right now, as you finished speaking, I was reflecting on kind of how I've become compassionate with myself over the last like eight weeks where I have been navigating life transitions, like from going to a completely new city and sort of like setting up sort of a life there for four weeks, then coming back to, you know, where I was born and trying to like navigate a lot of challenges that I've never been up against. And, and I was sort of thinking about some of the practices that have helped me navigate this life change. And all of them have been really flexible, which is a big departure from about a year ago when I was being very inflexible with myself. And I was being very inflexible because at one point I had gone from not planning anything to planning everything in my day, being very rigid about my sleep times, my wake times, what I did in the mornings, my morning routine had to be perfect. And 
over the last couple of months, having to navigate a lot of change in a short period of time, if I had tried to maintain that level of rigidity of like, I have to go to bed at this time, I have to wake up at this time, my breakfast has to be this thing, uh, I have to go to the gym this many days, is like maintaining that level of rigidity would have meant that my mental health would have suffered even more than it already has just because like life has been stressful. And I think that when we can adopt this understanding of like, there are certain things, like there's a difference between standards and expectations. And so when we set standards for ourselves, that's very different than having an expectation of how the day is going to go or how the transition is going to go. And so I want to, I'd love to ask you like, what, how do you see the difference between standards and expectations? And then I'd love to move into some actionable tips for people that are navigating some life changes and how to do that. Hmm. Well, I think sort of further to like having standards is more kind of like, what do you need and what do you want? So Hmm. like if you are, you know, going through a, you know, transition in life where things are a bit jumbly and you kind of have to reconfigure things, then First of all, understanding your needs. And so I sort of talked about that a little bit before, right? Like when we can understand what we need, then we kind of have somewhere to jump from. So it's like, that's like your basic stuff. Like, what do I need to feel well? What do I need to do to look after my mind? What do I need to do to look after my physical body? What do I need in terms of like, I don't know, if there's like work things or whatever, like what do I need to put in place? But then also, what do I want? So what do I want to feel or how do I want to feel and that's when we take the things that no longer work and we have to create a new expression for them so if um if you move like if you you know go to a new place and it's like what do I want well I want to have a morning routine again it's like okay that's going to look a little bit different here because of this and this and this but how can I kind of express that and what is that going to look like so and, and that's also understanding that what I need is space in the morning, right? So yeah. it's like having that and then what does that look like and allowing yourself to just express it in a different way. So I think that, yeah, I think that's, stand, I mean, expectations are never helpful. Um, and I, the podcast that we did on the Be Well Cartel about this, and I shared that Shakespeare quote, and now I can't remember it. It's like, expectations are like the root of unhappiness or something like that and it's true um but having those standards I think we can go a little bit deeper with that of like what do I need and what do I want and yeah I love that I love that it's interesting because I asked on one of our my like accountability group calls recently I asked like what do you guys see the differences between between standards and expectations And I think that this is where the expectations, we see a lot of that, like shooting ourselves is like, I expect that I'm going to be able to do this, 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 and this, even though like, realistically, we're not being compassionate about like what our time availability is, what our mental capacity is, whereas like standards are going to be like, Hey, you know, I have this, let's say I set a standard for myself is like, I am someone who moves regularly. Like my standard is like, I'm going to move my body on a regular basis. Well, I could set the expectation that I'm going to go to the gym five times this week, 
but that might not be a realistic expectation. But if I'm setting the standard for myself, like I'm someone who values movement and I'm someone that moves regularly, like that opens me up to being like, Hey, maybe I can't make it to the gym five times, but you know, I managed to fit in a 10 minute walk and I managed to fit in like a, you know, 15 minute yoga session. And I think that that, I think that shifting that and whether it is like, I think there's so many different ways of calling it. Like we can call it standards or expectations. We can call it needs and wants. We can call it, you know, uh, God, there's a million different ways that you could name this. But I think that what, like removing that expectation and focusing on like, what do I value? What am I able to prioritize right now? And like you talked about those needs and wants, like understanding, well, what is it that I actually need? And maybe some of the wants, like maybe some of the wants are like nice to haves, right? Maybe some of the wants are like, okay, when I have more capacity, I'm going to add that in. But yeah, this I is- think that that want is also like, how do I want to feel? Yeah. And so that can be totally malleable with whatever's going on, right? Um, but, <clears throat> oh, I've just lost my train of thought with what I was going to say. Um, but I also think like, remember to give yourself context and look at the truth. <laughs> um, and you know, Byron Katie, she, I love her work. And she talks about this as like looking at the truth and just asking yourself, like, is it true? I should be able to do this. Is it true? Like with the context that you're in, like, like we talked about that this is a new thing that you're navigating. Should you be able to do this? Yeah. And so from there, that can just, again, like invite that curiosity, right? And remove the judgment of the should and invite more curiosity to find solutions for what you're trying to do. 100%. So I like to wrap up all of my episodes or almost all of my episodes with actionable tips. Like what can people do today or tomorrow, whenever, to actually help themselves navigate the struggles that are ahead? And so if we're speaking to someone that is navigating a big life change or an identity shift, like what are some actionable things that they can take on uh, or remind themselves of or do to help make that shift less stressful? Well, I think we've talked a lot about self-compassion and it really is like the pillar of all change, you know, changing behavior, changing mindset, like um, and, and a simple thing that you can do with that is just say to yourself, like, I feel blah, blah, blah. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. I feel sad. Um, and let that be like the outermost layer of self-compassion and kind of like acceptance of your situation. And as a reminder that you're a human and, you know, this is part of the human experience is struggle. So I think that that's like the first thing is just saying, I feel, and that can help you identify what that is that you're actually feeling, that it's rather, it's not the actual thing that is going on, but how that's making you feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like we've talked about, give yourself context, remind yourself that what you're going through right now might be like the same kind of like shit, but in a different sandwich, <laughs> you know, like, it might be the same kind of like themes that you go through, but in a different context. And so how can you look at the truth of what is actually going on? So if you're struggling to keep your, if you're like, why am I now eating um, 
if you've changed jobs and now you find that you're overeating at nighttime because you're coming home and you're exhausted because you have a longer commute or something like that, can you look at the truth and then work backwards from there? So that's incredibly uh, and then, helpful. And then uh, the last thing, I don't know, give us a third one. That two things. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I would go like a little more granular and I would actually start to, I would ask you to start to identify where you are shooting yourself. Mm. Like, where are you actually telling yourself, like, I should be able to do this. I have to do that. Like, where are you using these sort of like shoulds have to, can't, uh, need to, and can you, and I think that this goes along with the self-compassion because that, that can be an indicator that you're not being self-compassionate. And so I think that that can be like the warning light on your engine of like, Oh, okay, I'm not being self-compassionate. So now how do I look at this and understand what I'm feeling? And can I actually like make a list of the things that I want to do? And mm -hmm. I, I, I talk about like writing things down a lot as someone that like, I have a billion notes everywhere and like 17 notebooks because writing things down can actually help you organize like the jumble in your brain. And I know you're big on pen and paper as well. And I will actually just, I will say that last night I did exactly that. I was like, there's some things in my business at the moment that I'm just try, trying to work out. And I was like, I'm just going to write a list of all the things. And that list was long. And then the second list that I wrote last night was exactly what we've been talking about. What do I want? Yeah. And I just wrote down all the things that I want. And I was like, ah, okay. Now I've got a little bit more clarity around what is actually going on. And now I can choose one thing that might have a little bit of a ripple effect with, with other things. And that is, that is an amazing segue into one of the other actionable tips, which is take on one thing at a time, especially if your capacity is already low. So I talk to my clients a lot about capacity. I think you talk to your clients a lot about this as well. Whereas it's like when, and, and this, I'll give you some context. So I was talking to a client this week, and this is a client who recently had a family member pass away. She's had three work trips in the last month. And she's also had a really high volume of work. And so she, we talked and she was like, I feel like I've just let all the work we've done together go. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm not like, I feel like I'm letting you down. And I was like, well, let's actually look at what is happening here and identify what things you feel like aren't working for you. So we actually identified sort of three main things that she felt like weren't helpful. One is she felt like she was staying up too late and really struggling to get to sleep. She felt like she wasn't able to do her. She used to go for runs in the morning. She wasn't doing that. And the third thing was, is she felt like she was relying too much on takeout. And so when we looked at it, instead of being like, okay, cool. So you're going to start meal prepping and you're going to like get back to your workouts. I was like the, 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 the sort of like linchpin here that's going to make the other things easier is like, can we work on what happens before bed? Because your mental capacity is going to be higher so that you can make different decisions if you get a better night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And so we're not even going to talk about what you're eating or your exercise right now. We're just going to talk about how can we improve your, your evening routine so that you sleep better, so that it's then easier to work on the other things. And so I think that this is something that we forget when we're navigating a big life change is you probably don't, if you're in the middle of a move or changing jobs or even starting a new relationship or ending a relationship, you probably don't have the mental capacity to take on 17 new habits, but you might have the mental capacity to work on one. 
Mm. And I think, you know, what you're saying there is so important. And this is something that I say to my clients all the time. I'm like, I think that your focus might be in the wrong place. That yeah. we think that it's to do with like meal prepping, but it's actually to do with like a trillion other steps that come before that. And that's what we need to focus on first. So the process of reverse engineering from these things is a, a really important skill as well. I completely agree. Any other last tips that you would give to someone that's navigating a life change? Oh, well, it's interesting that you say that about that, um, your client, because I was just before we got on, was talking to one of my clients who's also had a massive, massive life change. And she feels completely lost with a lot of things that are going on. Um, and so that has just been really working on perspective and just being like understanding that we have seasons in life and sometimes we have messy seasons and that's fine. And then sometimes we have things where it feels like, you know, everything's kind of like falling in place um, and we are making progress. Um, and sometimes we are in a state of regression and it's totally fine because if we were always in this place of progression all the time, we would all be running marathons. We would all be like, you know, having like perfect quote unquote nutrition and, you know, the, the career of our dreams, you know, all of this stuff. So remembering that we have different phases of our life and it's completely fine and we actually need maintenance. We need regression in order to progress. And also when we're stuck in this place of like shoulds or I'm not doing things right or whatever, like you said, you know, sort of zoom out and also consider the systems that are telling you that, that it's often not you, but it's uh, capitalism, it's the patriarchy, it's oppressive systems that are wanting us to feel bad about everything that we're not doing. Oh my gosh. I feel like you just opened the door to like an entirely new podcast because the, the, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've had to really let go of my productivity obsession, which is very much like a hustle culture, like, like yeah. thing. I've had to let go of it because like, I genuinely don't have the mental capacity to do more than really just be there for my clients right now. Yep. And like do a little bit of social media. And we were talking about this before where it's like my social media posts recently have been like, I talk about the same thing. It's something that I know quite a lot about. I'm very comfortable talking about it, but I don't, I can't like plan my social media out in advance because my brain just like won't let me. And um, yeah. I, I, it's, yeah. it's a self-compassion thing because if I was going to try to force myself to do that, I would probably implode right now. Yeah. But I think, I do think that this really opens up a can of worms. So we, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but what I will just say on this and just kind of what I said there is that I do think that sometimes it is really helpful to really expand out like that. And I know that when I went through my process of like healing from amenorrhea, I, I constantly did that. I was like, these thoughts that are coming into my head of um, that my body being bigger is bad or me not being as fit or whatever is bad or me eating more is like bad. That is diet culture. 
telling me that I am not good enough. It is diet culture does not have my interests at heart. Productivity, like hustle culture, does not have our interests at heart, you know? And so when we're thinking about these things, or I should, I should, it's like, where is, what, what system is that a part of? And just reminding yourself that that doesn't have your best interests at heart. And it's like, how can I come back to myself? Yeah. So I think that, yeah, just those systems and reminding yourself that a lot of our thought processes are a product of them can help with that detachment and that diffusion. I completely agree. You know, I, I don't know if I've talked that much about my process with amenorrhea. I might need to get you and Holly on here and we do like a hypothalamic amenorrhea podcast with the three of us over on, over on this feed. But if you, if you're curious about, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, or if you, you don't have a period or someone, you know, is struggling with their, with their cycle, we have an episode over on the Buell cartel feed, um, that I will link in the show notes. If you're curious a little bit about kind of how we got around that. Cause I, I'm very proud to say my cycle is like fucking on point recently. Like yeah. my cycle is legit. Um, but I have which all is, these tiny baby awesome. hairs. Yeah. 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 And it which, took a lot of work. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a real fear that I'm sitting in right now because I'm breastfeeding. So I don't have my period back. And so I have a real fear that I am potentially dipping back into HA and, you know, but that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, with that, a conversation on HA, it's not actually even like, even if that is irrelevant to you, like amenorrhea, the bigger conversation of women getting amenorrhea is from just what we've been talking about from those systems. And so I think that that is like that bigger conversation that, that could be had. Yeah. I would say to anyone listening, if you would like to hear a little bit more about, um, about the menstrual cycle or recovering your period or anything around that, go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'm happy to talk about it. Also, if you'd like to hear anything more about like diet culture and like the systems that hold a lot of the beliefs that we have around these like shoulds in place, feedback, give me feedback. Uh, on, on what you'd like to hear. Um, and we will get podcasts recorded. Um, the next couple of podcasts that you are probably going to hear on this feed are going to be around unconditional permission to eat. Um, I am saying this out loud on the podcast because I had this idea to do a little series on like how to start practicing unconditional permission to eat. So if I say it out loud now, that means I have to record it all next week and get it out there. Um, so hopefully you are subscribed to the podcast so that you will be able to listen to, um, a little bit of a step-by-step to practicing unconditional permission to eat. Olivia, where can people find you if they want to follow you and see all the cool stuff that you do? Yeah. So definitely Instagram is the best place. And I am Olivia Park coach on there. Love having conversations. Absolutely love making connections and having conversations on Instagram, um, my website, um, Olivia Park Coaching, and yeah, they're the main the main places. Amazing. Well, Olivia, um, I'm. It's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see your face. Thank you for being here. I know that uh, your time so nice is very valuable, so thank you for spending it on me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and it's so nice to be here, and so nice to be on your podcast. Amazing. Well, thank you person who is listening. Thank you so much for being here and listening. As I said, if you have not subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that. 
Um, and also there have been a few of you that have left a rating on Spotify for the podcast. And that is so awesome. And I appreciate it so much. And if you have not left a rating, please, please, please take a second and do that because it just makes me really happy. I mean, first it makes me happy, but second, it also genuinely helps people find the podcast, which is freaking awesome. So thank you for that. And we will see you again here next time.